Do you see this writing? Do you know what it means? Hospitality. And you can't piss on hospitality. I won't allow it! Um, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. Tell you what, I'll take Miss Barrett back to her apartment and check her out. I'll go check out Miss Barrett's apartment. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Statistical fact. Cops will never pull over a man with a huge bong in his car. Why? They fear this man. They know he sees farther than they. He will bind them with ancient logics. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We are a podcast that talks about movies, but we talk about the movies that you will never, ever talk about if you take a class at the local junior college, university, or other educational institution about film. Although, that being said, what we're about to talk about tonight, I have talked about in a film <laughs> studies course. Correct. We did take a look at Correct. The Prisoner of Azkaban. This week, it's all things Harry Potter. We are going to uh, be talking about the series in its entirety and uh, doing some analysis of what we see working there. Uh, I think reference to the books may come up as well. So, all things nerdy will happen today. Uh, this is your opportunity uh, to definitely get your nerd on. And so, we're going to do that. But before we get into the actual show, we've got some introductions. you got to know who these people are talking to you. This week, we have a special guest host. Um, this lovely lady said to my right, if you'd introduce yourself, please. My name is Alexander Bohannon, and I consider myself the resident Harry Potter expert and... If you have a Harry Potter need, question, concern, or quandary, please let me know. Yes, much like James Crawford in Silence of the Lambs, we had to bring in a maniac to understand. Jack Crawford. Jack, did I say James Crawford? You did. I was thinking about James Cromwell. <laughs> <laughs> Brought it back around. My point is, she's our Hannibal Lecter this week. And I will accept that title. Hey, you who did those speaking of those words, could you introduce yourself as well? <laughs> My name is Dalton Stewart, as always, and... I don't have a, a funny intro for myself this week, so I'll just go with the uh, what we used to do. Uh, I am a bachelor's <laughs> degree in sociology. That was my field of study, and I like to watch movies and stuff. Uh, across the table, the only ginger here, if you would introduce yourself. I am Arthur Gordon, and since this is the throwback, I do have a master's degree in 20th and 21st century studies film emphasis from the University of Central Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> he does indeed. Uh, my name's Dustin Sells. Um, I also study movies and stuff. All right, well, I'm so glad to be here at this table with you all uh, talking about Harry Potter in general. Uh, before we do that, uh, I don't even know. Did the voice of the cinema prepare something? For, did, did, did he indeed? That is excellent to hear. Um, so we're going to hear He's, a synopsis. He, he was the best of all of us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So if the we only could, thing I prepared. If we could hear from the voice of the cinema, um, just to, again, if you don't know what Harry Potter is or is about, uh, you have an idea of what we are talking about. And you're breaking my heart also simultaneously right now. <laughs> if you would, sir. After the tragic death of his parents, the baby Harry Potter goes to live with his aunt and uncle who treat him like a dog. Upon his 11th birthday, he discovers he is a wizard and gets whisked away to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. He meets Ron and Hermione and the three best friends set out on a seven-year adventure like no other. 
Spoilers ahoy, uh, dear listener. They moved to Massachusetts and there's a mass hanging. It's very sad. <laughs> Moving <laughs> right along. That's the funniest thing you said like eight episodes. Oh my god. <laughs> I really because love- the Salem witch trials are a thing. <laughs> I really didn't expect to get any of you. <laughs> <Seriously>? Proctor. <laughs> so we are now, um, that is not an actual spoiler, we are going to do quick reviews, just what we think of this series, how it does work, and then after that, real spoilers will be entailed. Uh, so if you, perchance, have not gotten around to reading and or watching uh, these movies, it turns out it's all a dream. Uh, but we'll talk more about that um, in the spoiler section. Uh, so if you want to just listen up to that point, hit pause, watch a movie or seven and a half. And Voldemort was Harry's father, Ron was dead the whole time, and Hermione and Hagrid were the same person all along. So uh, we're going to do that. We're going to move around the table. Uh, I'm going to ask you at random uh, what you think about this. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Does it work? Does it not work as a series? I ask you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you, sir? Yeah, it's a good bit of fun. I mean, uh, as a whole, it works every bit as good as any other, uh, you know, large blockbustery uh, fun times adventure fantasy. I mean, it's there's a reason it's it's cemented its place alongside Star Wars uh, for sure in terms of long running, you know, adventure blockbusters. I mean, there are certainly weak films in this franchise. I mean, <sighs> listeners who actually have some sort of investment in this know that one and two are pretty much garbage. I mean, they're not they're they're good for children, uh, and then when you revisit them, you're like, oh oh good lord, this is a travesty. This is a mess. Uh, I, I think thanks in no small part to Alfonso Cuarón coming on uh, mm-hmm. with the third one, the series really finds its legs. Uh, mm-hmm. It finds a drink to that. <laughs> it finds a you know a visual style. It, it finds some sense of what it's going to be, and then he leaves, and then we spend a couple more things kind of <laughs> in in a, not knowing what's going on. And then we're think, looking at you, Goblet of Fire. Oh Jesus! I, but I think when when David Yates comes on, uh, we finally get a singular voice. For this, you know, an auteur to really kind of steer this ship, if you will. <laughs> well, a journeyman filmmaker to steer this ship and, and to, to say, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to focus on. We're going to cut the fat. Uh, we're going to focus on these themes. We're going to look We're going to look like this. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep that visual style from three and really try to, to make something cohesive and good. Uh, and, I, and I think Yates succeeds in that. Um, I, I think the last two are actually probably, uh, just in terms of... If, the quality of filmmaking and in terms of emotional resonance and, and just working as a whole, I think the, the last two Harry Potter films really are, are pretty outstanding. Um, and, and five and six are they're all right. I mean, six is pretty good. Five, mm-hmm. eh, it's fine. Uh, it's not bad. Uh, four, two, and one, yeah, you could live without seeing those your entire life. But I, I think as a whole, it's a fun series that works despite a, a host of plot holes and nonsensical character decisions, but. Beyond that, it's a lot of fun. Excellent. Thank you for that, Dalton. Um, Alexander, what do you think? Does the series generally work for you? Um, It works, but I personally, as someone who lives and breathes by the books, the canon of Harry Potter, I just have a problem condensing so much material into, you know, eight eight movies while they're all one to two, you know, two-ish hours apiece. It just doesn't feel comprehensive. I'd love to see a mini-series where you actually go to class with them and when you actually experience all these things, they cut out spew, they cut out peeves, they cut out 
you know, all these numerous plot points that kind of cause all this character development, is certainly for Hermione as this kind of social justice advocate that comes really resonant right around whenever you have Creature at the end. I mean, that kind of gives that full force to what everyone's been telling them all along about how you should be nice to the house elves and everything like that. One, two, and four are definitely the weak points in the series. I, as someone looking at it from a more of a literary, is this true to the spirit of the books and to the content of the books? How do these fall? I would even say that four is dead last. I just can't deal with the amount of things they take out. They weren't, they, you know, the Weasleys were in the top box. There was, you know, we had some development around Barty Crouch and Barty Crouch Jr. And it wasn't just so haphazard, like, cutting from one thing to the next thing and then rearranging ad nauseum. I mean, some, there are some errors in Goblet of Fires as source material as J.K. Rowling penned it, but it did correlate to a really weak film. And I would even say I'd rather watch the... Pretty much, if you read the Jim Dale audiobook on the the muted visuals of books one and two, it'd line up perfectly. I'd rather almost see that than book four. I mean, book four's movie ever again. Thank you. I, you know, <laughs> I, I think there's going to be um, resonant um, cheers and um, hear-hears from the internet uh, for that. Mr. Arthur <laughs> Gordon, what do you say, sir? Yeah, it's a thumbs up. It's Harry Potter. You know, it's formative to the teenage years of my life. Oh, I yeah. went in around book three or four, you know, off the shelf, and I was hooked from then, so, I mean, it, it's been there all my mm-hmm. greater portion of my life, probably. You know, I love the book, I enjoy the movies, I think they're all good at some level, even the first two, I think they have their merits, mm. um, but I would agree that they're the lesser of the series. They're fun so, children's yeah. films, yeah, mm-hmm. certainly, and I think, yeah, I, I'm really just going to echo Dalton a lot, when Quran comes on, it changes the game up, and so from there, it's, it's, it's all uphill, I think. For me, it was really... The fifth film, where I had this kind of problem and a love-hate relationship began to form, because I love The Order of Phoenix, because I love Sirius Black. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, the fifth movie hurt a lot, because I felt like they just butchered everything. Yeah, we lose a lot of good Gary Oldman in four and five. Oh, yeah. And, so, and really, what are you, you're going to underuse Gary Oldman? <laughs> he was a fire. He was a log. That was his only scene. Do you realize that? I was so mad. You don't go to you don't go to Hogsmeade to have him transform to a dog and you talk to him in the cave and the no he is a log that is it you're gonna cast Sid Vicious slash Dracula slash Commissioner Gordon slash everything else and then just not use him for shame come on get it together guys it is it is a mistake so but five came this turning point when I had to realize that what they were creating on screen was becoming its own separate universe yes. from what happened in the book bingo and so that for me was. It was hard to accept mm-hmm. because I love that book so much, but it was also this wake-up call mm-hmm. that they're doing some, something completely different for film. Right. And I, I respect that in the long run, and I need to revisit that, that fifth film with new eyes. But, you know, on the whole, I, I, love, the, I love the films. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you, Arthur. Well, um, well Dustin, where, where do you come down? And I really like the movies. They're, they're a lot of fun. I read the books first. I just yeah. made myself do that um, intentionally. And uh, there is a different experience that you have in watching them. I, I do like the Order of the Phoenix movie um, probably more than you guys do. But it, I do see its weaknesses compared to the book. It, it's my favorite place in the series, really. And there's some of that still brewing. Uh, just the introduction of Dolores Umbridge, who is the best villain of the series. Mm. She's a better villain than Voldemort. 
and uh, the actress who um, plays her, whose name escapes me for the moment, uh, is fantastic. Oh, she's a mention. She's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just brilliant. What what I think the great mistake is uh, for the Chris Columbus films at the first end is that when you read the first two novels, it's it's Encyclopedia Brown with magic. Mm-hmm. They're, they're mysteries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's yeah. this idea that we don't know who the baddie is and this sort of misdirection and, and whatnot that goes to play. And really the first four novels really work that way for the most part. That there, that there, there are these sort of mysteries to be uncovered and uh, the Scooby team of Ron, Hermione, and Harry <laughs> yeah. are, are, are working it out. And again, always suspecting Just Snape. <laughs> Boom. I'm, I'm for that. And so as that's all being worked out, uh, I, I feel like Columbus made an adventure film, made mm-hmm. something like Hook for uh, a Steven Spielberg kind of film mm-hmm. for uh, Harry Potter, yeah. instead of going ahead and trying to make this sort of magic mystery story. And I think if it had done that, it would have been much better. Would you say a magic mystery tour? A magical <laughs> mystery tour, perhaps. Oh. But let it be. Thank you all for that, though. Well, now you kind of know where we are as far as taste and our opinions, but this is not a review show. This is an analysis show. We're going to break this thing apart and talk about what it means and look at the insides of it and try to try to pull it apart and, and, and do some analysis at this point. And so let's begin with that. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Britain seems to have, have a fascina- fascination with fascism, that's harder to say than you would think, mm. that I find really striking. I mean, just looking at George Orwell, and we're just laying this foundation of, of exploring fascism, and I, I, I don't know why, honestly. I, the, the best example I could come up with is that they almost, you know, they got bombed by Nazis, which sucks, um, and they had a functioning fascist party going on uh, in their country at this time, but a lot of countries did. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was an American Nazi party. Uh, so why why does Britain love fascists? And Still I, is. Moving on. Well, yeah. Moving on. Yeah. Moving on, indeed. Um, but we all really love to hate fascists. And we all do. It's not just, this is not a Britain exclusive thing. I, I think the world as a whole likes hating fascism. Um, unless you're, you know, Robert uh, Heinlein. And then you love telling people why fascism is a good thing. Which is interesting in and of itself. But the thing that I, I just find really interesting about Harry Potter is really, for a series that is so magical and detached from the real world for the majority of the series, right around book four or five, movie four or five, six especially, seven and eight especially, where, by the way, magic Nazis are here. Uh, and it's not like in Star Wars where space Nazis were there all along. Uh, it's just like, oh, by the way, the bad guys are Nazis. Period. End of story. And I find that really interesting. And really, that's that's all I have to say about that. I mean, it's just interesting to me to think about, especially, and it's more the militarized aspect of it, because uh, magic in the series is portrayed as, as just this kind of, this very powerful thing to be respected, but it's, you know, it's fun, and we, we catch golden balls, and we... we we brew potions, and we would go and get butterbeer, and we, we have dancing chocolate frogs, and the ghosts and the paintings, they talk. Uh, and, and then, you know, um, Snake Hitler shows up with uh, the AK-47 equivalent of magic. Uh, and that brings me to what is my pet peeve of the series, is it's pretending that there is good guys in war. And here's, here's what's... That's what I find troubling, is it's teaching children 
Which is not to say that I'm a violent person. I consider myself a pacifist, but it's teaching children you can fight fascism with pacifism. It's teaching children that you can bring a taser to a pistol duel. I, I just, it's stupid. I'm sorry. That Mama really- Weasley's the only person that drops a fool on the team of the good guys, and everybody else is throwing out stupefies when, again, the AK-47 equivalent of magic is coming at them. That is true. That is the last duel between Voldemort and Harry. He's about a cadavering while he's expelling armies. It's, it's, it's just it's obnoxious. You're, I, I don't, it bothers me on a fundamental level. <sighs> Tolkien didn't pretend you didn't have to kill the bad guys. Lots of bad guys get killed. Lots of them. Tons of them. Literally tons. Literally metric tons of orcs get stabbed. Yes. Literally metric tons of stormtroopers get stabbed. Contractors on the second Death Star get killed <laughs> because... Because, you know, you gotta, you gotta think with your head, not your wallet, uh, mm-hmm. as is so succinctly put in Clerks. Should have joined that union. No. <clears throat> and yet, we come to Harry Potter, which I think, uh, obvi- not necessarily in terms of plotting or anything like that, but just in terms of where it stands in popular culture, uh, is clearly a descendant of Star Wars, of Lord of the Rings, uh, the works of Tolkien and Lucas and all of these other, Flash Gordon, I mean, all these other big, like, big-name adventure stories throughout the history of popular fiction. Uh, we, we come to Harry Potter, and Rowling says, no, 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 The good guys are always good. They don't do anything morally corruptible. The only maybe anti-hero we have being Snape, who's, you know, the cat's meow. Uh, he's Miles Davis, man. Um, <laughs> Hans Gruber. Uh, sorry. He's the only, like, questionable good guy in this. The only other questionable good guy we have is uh, is uh, Sears Black, who turns out to be just a total good guy. Uh, Harry's dad was kind of a dick, but who isn't when they're a teenager? And it's just really troubling to me that there aren't really uh, any flaws uh, here to, to our heroes, and this brings me back around to the fascism, is if you're going to make your bad guy so purely evil that not only are they all about militarization, taking over the world... Uh, they're also about racism, uh, because why wouldn't they be? And then the good guys are just plucky and fun and cute. Like Han Solo's a douche who's in it for money. Uh, you know, Gandalf's a pothead. Uh, Bilbo and Frodo <laughs> are shirkers of their responsibilities. And Harry is really not that good at being a wizard. He just happens to be in the right place at the right time. <laughs> Hermione's the only one on their, you know, team of badassery that's actually a badass. Ron's just really good at screwing up, but he's, you know, he's cute and he's got red hair and he, he's always there to, to, to give you a hug when you're crying, so that's fine. And again, these are good lessons to teach in children's fiction. I don't want to kind of steer us back on that I'm not, like, rallying against Harry Potter as a piece of uh, pacifist propaganda, but my point is, it's not realistic in that in its depiction of our heroes, and I find that really troubling. May I? Just yeah, both of you can. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, you after reading, hearing that analysis, you have to read book seven. Okay. You have to because in book seven, it is given some treatment in the movie that I can remember, but not as well as book seven enumerates on Dumbledore's past. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in this, we kind of learned that. He's not as good as we thought he is. See, that I could get behind. Okay. It, you learned... I mean, there's the whole teaming up with Rindelwald thing, and the the pass with... You know how in the beginning of the series, everyone's like, you should be Minister of Magic, and Dumbledore's like, no, no, but you always just think it's a humble thing? Mm-hmm. It's more of, I don't feel like it could handle the power thing. Hmm. 
it's I, there's a lot of questionable stuff. Mm-hmm. You meet Aberforth, his brother, mm-hmm. and you kind of learn all this great backstory that kind of that gives him the depth, and it, and it gives you this sense that Harry has just been manipulated. You just get this theme of manipulation this whole time. The see, puppet master and see that's deeply fascinating to me, and I feel like you lose something by getting rid of that. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and obviously going back to that first topic, you can't fit all of these themes yeah. and all these great ideas into this series, especially if you're trying to... If we are thinking of this series as a predominantly children's yeah, young adult sure. series, I doubt they'd have the time room and want to explore the effort of maybe our biggest advocate good guy, yeah. the, Do- the Voldemort killer of all time, mm-hmm. you know, the man he always feared, maybe he's not as good as we thought yeah. he was. Y- Yoda's a D-bag. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get that. Okay. I mean, Did you I, had to say your thoughts. Well, an initial thought, just again, the, the lack of perfections. That there, there's a bit more of this in the uh, in the books than in the movie. But there's mm-hmm. this idea of Harry's ego mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. that sort of thing that kind of has something. It's been a very long time since I've struggled with. So, that, so, that, so there's there's a yeah. little. I mean, it's not as well pronounced in the films as in the books, mm-hmm. right? But there is a nuance that is present uh, there. As to the issue of pacifism. I don't know that that is the point that Rowling is making. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, it seems to me it's more about fighting war under the Geneva Convention versus doing whatever you jolly well please. That there, that there seems to be we mm-hmm. are going to operate warfare in, in certain humane ways and uh, maybe be tempted to cross lines. You know, Harry does cast a Crucio curse in Order of the Phoenix, mm-hmm. which is one of the three forbidden curses. Uh, nerds alert. Yeah. Uh, well, which just reminded me that w- this is a series about a school for uh, warlocks and witches, and we go five books before a hot goth chick shows up, which is strange. Weird, <laughs> right? Why else are you going to witch school? Oh, uh, you should just get in that fan fiction. You'll find hot goth chicks everywhere. There should have been the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but no, I, yeah, that's that's a good point. I think it's more of a limited warfare. There are these weapons of mass destruction, yes, and then there okay. are these weapons of more controlled destruction. And it seems to me that Dumbledore and company are waging warfare, but they're waging warfare as sort of an ethical means. Uh, as a, you know, again, thinking World War One stories more than World War Two stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mechanized warfare of uh, of the German. Mm. You know, empire at that time versus what we see there in England. That's what I find problematic, though, Dustin. Is it's this insinuation? It's it's not that the good guys are are more humane than the bad guys. I think that you know, obviously, that's you know integral to any story uh, about good and evil. But what I find problematic is the idea that in this war, because by the end of the series, they are at war, capital W war. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plucky heroes are are, are morally um, just clean i guess is my problem uh, is it's that it's the, it seems to be holding up this well as long as you're fighting fascists you'll always be the good guys uh and nothing you do is wrong i mean yeah, you look, what's wrong with that well you look at world war ii and there are these awful atrocities on both sides i'm not of saying course. that harry potter is an analog for world war ii because it's not at all my, my point being though is that when you look at any war in the course of human history there are heinous, just awful uh, atrocity, dehumanizing atrocities on both sides, and it's like Rowling wants to have, she wants Rowling, uh, she she wants our heroes to have their cake and eat it too. She wants them to, to win the day, but uh, in the film presentation anyway, there, there doesn't seem to be uh, a quote heinous act. Uh, Harry in 5 is a good example, but I feel like as a whole it, it does just 
overly moralize our heroes, uh, which I find problematic because, again, it uses fascists as, as bad guys, much like zombies. We kill Nazis because they're the most human-looking thing we're allowed to kill and not feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, I don't know how okay that is in what is ostensibly a children's series. No, I totally get the problem that you're having there, and I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Yeah. It's, it's just, yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess it's fine that the good guys are good guys. That's, that's good. It's, you know, we don't need a, a whole lot of moral grays here, but it's, it's the idea that the good guys can win the day without having to kill anyone uh, and maintain their moral superiority. Fair enough. Thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I appreciate that analysis. Alexandra, what do you have to say this week? All right. So I was going to talk about some interesting instances of uh, Britishization and Americanization um, over the course of this series, because starting from the American books and the British books, as many people have noted, there are different editions. How many chil- how many series do you know of that don't have the same universal English edition? They have two, you know, dialect different, you know, editions that both dialects can understand completely mm-hmm. fine. It just is differences in slang, grammar, um, some you know, differences in jokes and the color and the theme. Um, interestingly enough, though, there isn't really Americanization in the British-made movies. Rowling insisted upon having the... Um, Rowling insisted on having Irish or British uh, actors. No Americans were involved in at least the acting side. I know on the production side, I'm sure they're... Christopher Columbus is American, right? Yeah. With that name, you have yeah. to be American. Well, but he's not. It could be Italian. Anyway, Italian. <laughs> um, obviously, except for the, the huge name difference, which they did change uh, Philosopher's Stone mm-hmm. movie and book to Sorcerer's Stone, which was interesting. I guess they just wanted to keep the, the branding unified on that one. But you do get these great... British elements that you don't really get from reading the American books, at least the early books. They kind of phase out the, the Americanization as you go along through the series. That kind of goes into some of the theater of the mind thing. Whenever you read Harry Potter, you're going to be overlaying your experiences and imagination about school that are directly correlated from what you've had in your life. You're not going to be pulling from the, the British imaginings of someone else's life. You're going to be pulling from your experience. So it is going to be an American experience if you're reading it in America, typically. But the British movies, the fact that they were so entrenched in that landscape and the uh, the sights and the sounds, and I mean, it just helps so much that you have just pretty much all of this British lore entrenched throughout. I wish they would have kept the Sorcerer's Stone the same. I'm, I'm almost 100% certain Hermione calls it the Philosopher's Stone, right? In the first movie? I, I, does I'm she? I'm gonna say there is a reference. Yeah, I, I'm gonna agree with she, you. There's this passage that she reads. She's yeah, like, blah, blah, blah. blah. Also known as. Yeah, 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 I can't remember if I'm she calls it Philosophers or Sorcerers. Fairly certain. I think correct. there is a wink there. I don't. I mean, yeah. I, I can't say with great authority here. Or internet, can't. correct us if we're wrong. That's right. Yeah. That's why we do this on the internet. Right. Um, and then the fact, and one other interesting thing that I read in just researching this, because I've written a paper about differences in the two editions book-wise, um, never dabbled in the films until now, 
But one thing that's interesting is the prefix system. The prefix system is a mm. British thing. It is British boarding school, traditional, just straight up, this is what we do here. Mm. But in term, if you're an American learning about the, the prefix system for the very first time, you think it is something that J.K. Rowling made up, mm -hmm. just completely came out of her head and that it's a magic thing and it's mm -hmm. not a British thing. And then whenever you go to the books, you you kind of get the sense that this is just boarding school life. Mm -hmm. I, I also enjoy the fact that they're wearing the school uniforms. School uniforms, very uniform, with the ties and the vests and the, the skirts, and they're all matchy-matchy and all that. Whereas in the books, it's pretty much just the uniform list. It's just get robes and wear them. How about that? It's never, it, you just, you are assuming you're wearing stuff under the robes. Mm. Um, because naked is bad. Right. <laughs> uh, hey do... man, seventh years do some weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they got time, they got time. Um, but that, if you look at, it's so fascinating to me, if you look at early art from pre-movie American art for the series, they're wearing just the robes and jeans and t-shirts underneath them. Mm -hmm. They don't have you know, the uniforms. The uniforms, going back to what you or you said about the series uh, being its own entity mm -hmm. over time. The series definitely became its own entity mm -hmm. when they made that stylistic choice of they're mm -hmm. going to be in uniforms and it's going to be traditional prep boarding school style. With house ties. With so. house ties and stuff that's completely just never gone into very much in the, you know, in the books at all because it's just again theater of the mind but whenever it's being put in front of your face you just are accepting it that it's that's one person's envisioning of how harry potter works and that's another thing i kind of want to go into is the theater of the mind whenever you translate such a beloved book series because at the point in which i was i had read three of the books and then that's when about the first movie came out um, you have your vision of the characters in your head by that point, and not even watching watching the movies did not change that for me. When I go back to read book four or five and the subsequent releases, never did I say, "Oh man, that Snape, he looks way better as Alan Rickman," and just swap him out or anything like that. I think they're, they're you're right on the fact that they're two divergent entities that do share everything <laughs> right i do think alan rickman was always snape in my brain though <laughs> I, I don't think anyone else can be going somewhere mr mclean i always think of him as a sheriff of nottingham i mean I, I, <laughs> really i go there i go hans gruber, I go hans gruber every time yeah <laughs> those are some of the interesting things i would like to read this quote from school uh, arthur levine was the americanization editor he was the american editor for scholastic bloomberry was the british publisher um this author interviewed levine and he writes so whereas british harry checks a timetable for his wizarding classes which he loves so much that he dreads going on holiday american harry consults a schedule and hates vacation british harry loves pudding including jelly american harry hates dessert including jello there's some peculiar discrepancies too in the american editions wonky becomes crooked baubles turn to puffballs Barking Mad turns into a complete lunatic. Gick, Git, Ickle, and Nutters, however, are left as they are. Why does Father Christmas become Santa Claus? Bogey become Booger, but Budge Up not become Move Over? 
It was pretty inconsistent. Yeah. Especially in the first movie, they do say, Happy Christmas, Harry. Happy Christmas, Rob. Let's open presents. Invisibility cloak, yay! You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think exactly how it happens. Yeah. I think so. The only thing that allows this entire series to function at all. Yay! The best Deus Ex Machina ever! <laughs> Which actually is explained later, but still. Yeah. We spent like, yeah. like four books slash movies being like, where the hell did this thing come from? Super <laughs> magic. Kind of awesome. And one more comment on the title switch, the so- Sorcerers to the Philosophers. I just, J.K. Rowling in interviews posts has said time and time again, I wouldn't have the name changed if I had to do it all over again. She just wanted to have the security... She didn't know foreign markets would be interested mm. in the book, and she was ready to boot it anywhere she could. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, against the popularity, and here we are as it is. Um, but it just divorces all this wonderful lore and this content, this, you know, centuries and centuries of just stories about the Philosopher's Stone. I mean, I remember in my Chaucer cl- class reading the Canon's Yeoman's Tale, which is about the Philosopher's Stone. It's about alchemy. It's mm-hmm. this, I mean, and that's in Middle English. There, there are just so many things that are missed out on by removing that particular point of lore from the series. It just ties it back to, the, I think it gives that world an even larger bent seeing all this history, but Sorcerer's Stone, what does that even mean? Alchemy? Okay. <laughs> it would be like changing uh, the you know changing it from Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail to Indiana Jones and the uh, Last Crusade. My point is though, it would be there are Monty things, Python, the Holy Monty Python, the Holy Grail to Monty Python and the Bitch and Cup. Like <laughs> you're losing. You're right. You're losing a lot of historical reference. Right. Yep. And a lot of myth- mythological reference there. Well, I think what's what's great, and I think what uh, to to speak to your point, Alexandra. Uh, what Rowling is doing in, in her construction of the magical world of Hogwarts and, and the Ministry of Magic and all that is it is very much grounded in a real world that we muggles experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And, and that, that is part of where the suspension of disbelief comes mm-hmm. from. It's like, okay, so these things are all analog. So it's not completely other and different. They still have Christmas and summer holiday. Mm-hmm. They still have the boarding school system, which is, is foreign to us Americans because we don't go to high school like summer camp. It's not like that for us. Thank God. <laughs> and there you have it. It takes all kinds. Anyway, Dustin, your analysis. What, what, do you, what do you bring today? I want to think about the films in terms of the civil rights movement. Here we go. And right. uh, and I want to think about just, you know, again, what's going on from Order of the Phoenix on uh, begins this idea that you see quite a lot more of this in The Half-Blood Prince because we're greater emphasis on this idea of there are pure bloods. Half bloods and mud bloods, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is like the uh, wizarding world N word, uh, apparently. Harry is Kasdan's role as a mulatto. He is a half blood, and so he's able to kind of negotiate both worlds. He is, in to that extent, a light skinned black mm-hmm. who is able to be able to function in the realm of the pure bloods, but he's also able to hang out with Hermione Granger, and that's really his friendship. His friendship is with. Per, pure blood, um, what what blood oath breaker uh, Weasley, yeah, right? blood traitor, blood traitor Weasley's also with uh, mud blooded uh, Hermione Granger, and so you see his ability to negotiate those worlds and his friendships, and of course in his general interactions uh, throughout, because uh, the the Slytherins would love to have Harry at first, uh, in spite of all of you know the the, the history of Voldemort and whatnot. 
And so he's negotiating this sort of uh, truce as a, as a heroism. And it comes to the recent eruption on the internet where uh, Joe Rowling said uh, she made a mistake in letting mm-hmm. Harry end up with Ginny. Um, it should have been Hermione. And I want to go further to say she's right. Because what Harry ends up deciding to do is he wants to go to the big house and hang out with the proper white culture with Ginny. Oh, As damn. opposed to uh, <laughs> hooking himself up with his roots. He's right? Uncle Tom. He is Uncle Tom. Holy he's, shit. Now, now, now he's, he's better than Uncle Tom because he is a, a freedom fighter. <laughs> <laughs> his face went. <laughs> He, 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 you he just is, blew my mind, though. I never even... I never even contemplated this in a in a racial manner. Because oh, so racial. Yeah. Re, be, well, because this, the sense that this series is post-racial, except for the blood purity thing, because we have the Patil sisters who are, you know, Indian, Indian and then we Indian, have yeah. um, Angelina Johnson, who ends up marrying a Weasley twin mm-hmm, right. at the end. And Dean is black. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's never a thing. It, being... Actually, racially black is never. Yeah, because they have magic. It's far more important than skin and, color. And so, and so that they 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 in their arbitrary way of delineating um, some sort of hierarchy racially, mm. they do it through this you know again blood purity um, sort of a noble system, which is a very British way to handle yeah, it. I think for sure classism, the class and system, not. and there is sort of a class distinction we see. Obviously, uh, the um, the Malfoys. Are our nobility, and of course, uh, the Grangers are dentists, mm-hmm. and I mean, and that's yeah. definitely, and you know, For we sure. think in America of dentists as uh, something as more upper class, upper middle class, uh, but uh, it's definitely middle class, lower middle class consideration uh, in in British society, especially British society about 30, 40 years ago, and so they're, all, they're tradesmen they're tra- to they're make really, it medieval, yeah, yeah, I mean, and truly. especially since they're the magicians, the wizards are looking at. All of these tradesmen with, you know, doctors and dentists as barbaric. They're they're saying, oh my gosh, they let you stitch their skin. You remember that uh, Ron's dad bit whenever they tried stitches on Nagini's snake wound. You know, they just blew their mind and Molly got so irate with Mr. Weasley. They let you sew their skin? What do you mean? That's the gist of stitches, you know? (laughs) Things like that. Because they look at these tradesmen as being completely barbaric. And so there's an economic connection to race, which I think, of course, real world um, yeah. would bear that out as well. And uh, what's interesting, though, is that the, the civil rights movement that Joe Rowling is putting forward is a very weak neoliberal version of that, in which those who are oppressed have no agency on their own, and they must be defended by others. Now, the example would be that the mudblood Her- Hermione Granger takes upon herself the spew uh, thing that we see in the books uh, and the liberation of the house elves. The house elves can do nothing of themselves. They are but children. There's only one sort of independent thinking Dobby um, <laughs> that we have, and that that somebody else has to fight for their freedom. That they themselves so cannot stand up uh, for themselves. And in the end, what ends up happening uh, is that there is someone who is sort of racially questionable. Mm-hmm. Although the the general consensus is that half bloods is, it'll it'll work. Um, is that racially questionable person does all this in the defense of all of those pure mudbloods or pure mudbloods those, those, those rather mere mudbloods who who could not do it for themselves who could not defend themselves who who really you're not a real witch because you didn't you got a wand and you must have stolen this from a real witch because wands only mm-hmm. pick pure bloods and this sort of you know racial um, racist narrative that we all create for ourselves to uh, mm-hmm. make things seem as they always have been because it's the way they're supposed to be hegemony hegemony is what it is. 
and, and, and that what Joe Rowling ends up doing with the series, unfortunately, uh, to my mind, is that uh, she makes it about someone from the upper classes descending down, from the upper races descending down or um, condescending uh, towards the cause and doing something about it rather than creating a story where those people gain voices and gain agency of their own uh, to defend themselves. And I find, I mean, that's that's something I find really deeply problematic. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, as you begin to look at Harry and his role as a mulatto that way, he, he ends up, again, pretending like it's not there. And, uh, and there's a whole um, history within Gothic literature of, of, of the Spaniard woman with scare quotes around it um, because uh, she's somehow a, a mulatto or some degree thereof. And, of course, there's a disturbing um, enumeration of degrees of, of blackness. Yeah, of how, well, yeah, of, of not even blackness so much as it is a distance from whiteness. Right. You know? Yeah, it's, it's very, very disturbing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thing that's going on there. And it, and it seems to me that it almost goes ahead and bows to that. And uh, I find it very troubling, you know, as, as I thought about it. Because as a civil rights movement, um, it, it's not so much, uh, you know, making a choice if we're going to be more Malcolm or Martin as we uh, fight for our rights, is will someone in Washington finally step down and take advantage of the situation and write a piece of legislation to get us loose? And um, that's not the civil rights movement. That's just what Lincoln did to get started or get the situation um, in place where civil rights really could happen. So that's my reading. Liberate your minds by any means necessary, brother. That's right, brother. Mm. Um, That was good. That that was was good. So So, you mentioned you were going to, off air, you mentioned that you were going to do race. So I kind of steered focused on the militarization of, of fascism um for that reason um i'm glad i didn't even bother to touch race because it would have paled in comparison to that good job well thanks i'm glad you enjoyed it You're now, welcome. It was fun. I, you know I'm, I'm glad i've heard all the things that have been said around this table um so far this evening as we record this uh special bonus time travel episode that will be released sometime at in the future. some point yeah enjoy this crispy nugget and uh what we will, and, and what i'm pretending nuggets has a mcnail in it but moving on <laughs> We are going to do what we always do as we come to a point of verdict and decision. We're going to tell ourselves and tell the dear listeners, shelf or trash, else or instead. And we're going to say this, for the whole series, and you can make an a, uh, ejection of certain films if mm-hmm. you wish, or you might say, don't watch any of them, just read the books. Or you might say, just watch the movies. Or you might, I don't know what you might say. Mm-hmm. You say whatever you want to say. But answering that shelf or trash question, if it belongs on our shelves, or is it worse than just good trash it's trash and then the question of else or instead i ask you arthur gordon uh you'll find all these on my shelf uh, I, I i enjoy the series a lot the books and the movies and they're all on their designated shelves um i think you can enjoy the first two uh films at christmas i think they're good family fun movies i think you watch them with home alone get that christopher columbus tie-in and i think i i think it's all over uh, harry potter as well um, then I think you watch the series itself with Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, any kind of huge universe building type of story. Thing. Uh, and then just because of the talk of boarding school, I say watch it with If, because I think there might be some fun to be had with that. Stole my pick. So sorry, <clears throat> it was there. It's all right. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon, Miss Alexandra Bohanna. What do you say? Okay, I would definitely say shelf. Uh, I have them as well on my shelf. I don't have the box set. That would be an eventual purchase. But um, but I would encourage everyone to read the books first. They will reward you in such ways you cannot possibly imagine. And then if you just hear our commentary and say, well, maybe I shouldn't watch all of the movies, well, at least watch seven and eight because those are the ones that 
or you're the they're the clutch, the hitters, the they're the ones that are gonna nail it and knock it out of the park. Snape scene uh, in eight. I I've never cried that hard in a movie before <laughs> in my life. Just yeah. bawling tears, and it it will be worth your time. Uh, for com- things that would also go with this series, I would say Chronicles of Narnia. Definitely, those are they're they're British. They're they're kids. There's World War Two. There's fascism. There you go. I mean, it's all falling into place. Um, if you were interested in not just watching the 2005 Disney, the BBC made a mini series of uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in about 1988, and I would encourage that as well. I can't remember if it's just nostalgia goggles. But I remember it being a lot better than the 2005 version, but I was 12 when I watched the miniseries, so... It's pretty bad. I just liked it a yeah, lot. I it's did too. I watched I it recently. It's not great. Oh, <laughs> see, I was That's wondering if it was just it's my aged, memory. It's aged poorly. It's yeah. still fun, yeah, but I mean, it's 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 hokey as all get out. Oh. Uh, and, like, and not in a fun way. It's no. still Narnia, though. So. It's Narnia! Yeah. What, you know, Narnia will get that similar British fix kids on an adventure in a foreign land fix for you um if you want i'm gonna give you a book recommendation as well if you want a um large series that you can play around in or at least a large universe uh any of the tamora pierce books uh she writes about empowering women becoming knights and magic and she has this huge uh she has this huge world, and most of her books fall in this world, and she's 20, 30-plus young adult, uh, moderate, high fantasy. So check it out if you're interested in something like that. Thank you for that. I love that. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say, sir? Yeah, put it on the shelf. I, I mean, I, I don't own it, uh, but I like watching it. Anytime it's on, I'll watch it, because uh, it's fun. I, I enjoy it. Uh, I won't jettison any entries in the series, but I'll go ahead and rank them from best to worst do tell yes eight and seven seven eight doesn't matter they're 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 a tandem to me they're both fantastic and i think they're a high point in the series just mm. in terms of uh of pacing of plotting of story of action uh, of emotional resonance uh pay off all these things uh then three just in terms of pure technical craft good job karan you know why you just won best director i mean yeah, because he is the uh, best director. Six is <laughs> six is sweet. Five's okay. Four is kind of meh. And two and one are just read the books. and get the kids. first two. Yeah, movies. they're fun for kids. Who cares? Um, Elser instead, obviously, uh, as Arthur said, Lord of the Rings and Star mm-hmm. Wars. I mean, how how can you not? Um, uh, I, I would also say that in, in terms of looking at uh, fantasy, let's go from you know children's high fantasy to adult low fantasy. Let's go watch uh, Game of Thrones because it's so there cool. You know. It's so good, and it's totally different. In terms of something uh, very, very, very British, but not magic at all, look at Guy Ritchie's films, because they're hella British. (laughs) And if you don't like fantasy, hopefully you like gangster films. If you don't like fantasy or gangster films, then I can't do anything for you. Maybe you should light yourself on fire. (laughs) Uh, Last but not least, this seems like a good chance to plug it. You should, you know, if you like fantasy, play you know, some tabletop RPGs. Why yeah. See, they're fun. There is a Harry Potter tabletop RPG. Of course there is. <laughs> Shots fired! <laughs> Obviously. Nice. But go do that. That would be a fun thing for you to do if, if you like magic and stuff. I mean, I wouldn't play as a wizard, but that's me. Uh, well, I, I would like to add one more thing, because I watched Prisoner of Azkaban today, and he has. there's the scene when Harry receives his Care for Magical Creatures book that Hagrid has assigned, and it tries to eat him. Yeah. But there's this very... Guillermo del Toro design yes. all over mm-hmm. the book, 
And so I would say also watch Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth. Mm, yeah, I was actually thinking those as well, too. It is, yeah. It's It, it, it definitely has got that game where the Toro uh, bug horror feel to it. Yeah, absolutely does. Absolutely. Thank you for those. I love those picks all. Um, I would also, of course, say um, Shelf. It already is on my shelf. All eight volumes are, are, are there. Uh, in fact, all seven books are also on my shelves. Um, I'm that guy, and uh, I like it very, very much. I would also echo Arthur Gordon's words and say Lindsay Anderson's If is a great look into the uh, boarding school system. Uh, and uh, it's just a great movie in general mm-hmm. and should be seen by all people at all times. Um, also, dabbling somewhat in the magical, surreal, magical realism um, vein of things, and so I think it's, there's something very, very fun uh, there to be experienced. I also think you got to check out uh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Um, just, again, uh, ideas of this, these kind of world-creating uh, sort of movies uh, that are also somewhat subversive in dealing with um, contemporary political and or historical issues. So both have a granddaddy in 1984, so there you go. There you go, right. Um, and so uh, take a look at that. And because fascism stinks, uh, you should probably take a look at um, any World War II film at all. I was going to say the BBC PBS co-production uh, World War II, as narrated by Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> Oh my! Oh, it's awesome. (laughs) It's like thirty hours long. It's great. And I did not watch obviously all seven movies. I only watched one movie or eight movies, I guess technically, uh, in preparation for this. But I just remember how much I love dear Richard Harris as he's really a a better Dumbledore. I mean, I like Gamble. I mean, he's he's fine um, as Dumbledore. But man, Richard Harris, pish posh. Really? Yeah. But but in lieu of that, yes. um, get some Richard Harris and you check out Gladiator. Also check out The Count of Monte Cristo. Mm. Uh, he's got two supporting roles in there where he just burns it down. And I uh, really, really like him. He just shows up and lights fire to the movie. He really does. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty fantastic. Caught fire to the set. Yes. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. He burned it down. Really, Scott was like, what are you doing? He's like, I do what I want. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we have fun. All right. Well, let's do. Uh, let's give the dear listener an opportunity to uh, continue the conversation with us because we're just talking. We don't know everything, and you may know things, and you have corrections, other suggestions, other readings, and problems with things that are said or not said. And you can do that via social media. Um, Arthur, do you anything about social media? Well, yeah. First and foremost, you can email us uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com or you can find us at Facebook, facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast. One word. Um, Dalton, do you know anything else about that stuff? Mm-hmm. Social media. I got news for you. You're a tweeter, Dustin. That's all I got. I didn't do a lot of. I, yeah, you're a tweeter. I got to do a whole lot for this one. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast uh, at Good Underscore Trash on Twitter. Thank you for that. Of course, we'll not be reading feedback because this is a time traveling episode. Yeah, it's you'll hear it when you hear it. It's a bonus episode. So uh, you will. Yes, it will be coming to your ears um, soon and very soon. We're going to now play our game this week. Oh, yes, it is game time. And uh, we are going to talk a little bit uh, about the series uh, a little bit deeper. We're going to have more more of a fun kind of fancy uh, sort of conversation. We'll not be doing what Scott has fired this week in pop culture because, again, we have no idea what week this will happen. And the things about which we are fired now will maybe less firing for us, much (laughs) like uh, Richard Harris versus Michael Gambon. But moving on. So I'm going to ask a couple roundtable questions. And the first one, which was almost mentioned earlier in the show, um, whoops, actually her, not you. Oh, whoops! <laughs> I haven't got to the one you messed up on yet. <laughs> uh, I would want to ask uh, if you could recast any role, what would it be, and who would you put in there? Go. 
It's pretty fantastic from top to bottom, yeah. perfectly honest. Yeah. I mean, I there's, gonna... there's no substituting Maggie Smith. There's no, no. substituting Gary Oldman. No. Yeah. This I was is... I was gonna try to think of a joke answer. I, yeah. I mean, I was gonna try to replace. I was gonna say replace Harry Potter or replace Daniel Radcliffe with. Tom Cruise. I don't know. I was going to think of a joke answer. They got the hype thing together. Right. <laughs> Short actors. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I do have one sub, I think. Um, the actor who plays Lupin. Um, I, I would I like him. I would I like him. to have seen um, Michael Fassbender. Oh, God. Time traveling. You know, but, but, oh, but, but, Fassbender, but the Fassbender beautiful. as the werewolf. Oh. I mean, come I, on. I, well, here's the thing. I would watch Fassbender at anything. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's fine. But no, I really think it's it's a great cast. Everybody totally. I, I wish uh, Stephen Fry did the audiobooks. I mean, and that's probably why he was in the movie. <laughs> but he should have been in the movie. He's just foremost a British actor, and of course Hugh Laurie because they're just a pair. Obviously, Fry. you can't get rid of either of them. Um, Do we have but... Stephen Fry's peeves? Would that have? Oh, would that work? Maybe I don't know. I I know initially when I watched going back to Lord of the Phoenix, Umbridge wasn't anything like I pictured her. Mm. But she does well. Yeah, yeah, so I can't. She's like the British Mercia game. I had a teacher. Though, I think if I were to sub out someone that I know in my personal life, I had a <laughs> choir teacher who was Dolores Umbridge to the point where she had animals that she obsessed about and had them yeah. like on their, her wall. She looked like her. She acted like her. It was just spot on. And that's I, if I had to replace. That's who I would cast. <laughs> Quick straw poll. Who would you hate more? Voldemort or Umbridge? Umbridge. 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 Obviously. Voldemort's Easy. a badass. Mm. Yeah. I the mean, book Umbridge. Yeah. 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 And, and Ray Fiennes is, is sexy as I'll get out, even with that snake nose. Yeah. He's yeah. pretty yeah. generic as a villain though in the movies, and it's not. It's yeah. Not, it's yeah. Just by the book. Yeah, well, and he, and he clearly doesn't know anything about it. They ask him a question yeah. about wands or something, because I have no idea. Hey, it's one of those yeah. weird things, though. When you He's too to... busy being awesome. <laughs> He's awesome. It's like asking Patrick Stewart about phasers. Or if he yes. understands or cling on phrase. One one thing, if I don't mind asking a question, can I ask a question? Sure. Okay. This is where I was going and you thought I was going for a different question, so I didn't spoil oh, yours. Go right ahead. Mine was, did you in reading the book mentally cast someone that ended up showing up in the movie later? Oh. I was reading these books at a time when I wasn't really uh, yeah. into film to the degree I am now. I mean mostly because I read most of them before I was in my teens. But uh, <laughs> you're old, Dustin. Uh, but no, I, I, I'd say by the time it, it would occur to me to cast someone in my brain, they'd already been cast on screen. Mm. Uh, and again, I just think this cast, the casting Perfect. is so great. Yeah. I mean, say what you will about Columbus's films, but man, his casting directors really did a bang-up mm -hmm. job. Yeah. Yep. yeah, I had one, actually. That's why I brought it up. I had... Um, Jim Broadbent as Slunkhorn. He was my Slughorn in my brain when That's I was so reading cool. it, and he was on screen. Which, uh, even though right. the book description, he's got a big boss mustache, and he's really fat, and he mm -hmm. doesn't look anything like him, but he was, that was my Slughorn, and he was on screen. I love Jim Broadbent. Beautiful. Yeah, I'd offer no suggestions. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I have another question here. Um, this is this is sort of a debate question now. I'm uh, just going to see. Uh, I'm going to make a case, and you can either agree or disagree. Mm -hmm. Um the case, the point is, the Gryffindor house is totally unnecessary. Hmm. My evidence being this. There are certain attributes that clearly make sense uh, for uh, the uh, the Hufflepuffs, uh, for the Slytherins, and for the Ravenclaws being, of course, um, social awkwardness, nerdinism, and uh, fascism, as Dalton so eloquently put earlier. Um, I would the Hitler youth. 
the Hitler Youth. Uh, yeah. Now, the interesting about Gryffindor is for the brave, right? Neville Longbottom is in Gryffindor. Who is super brave. Eventually. But Neville totally belongs Some in Hufflepuff. Some people are late bloomers. Hermione Granger does not belong in Gryffindor. She's a Ravenclaw. She's a Ravenclaw's Ravenclaw. Social justice. Ravenclaws are bankers. I would say, furthermore, <laughs> that the only reason... I, I think Joe Rowling did something, not lazy, but she was... It's, it, Gryffindor is only a plot contrivance to get Ron, Hermione, and Harry in the same house. Mm-hmm. What say you? Well, because uh, I am with someone romantically who has a Harry Potter sleeve, I had to go to Pottermore and get myself sorted. Uh, I am a Gryffindor. Oh. Uh, so, so you're a plot contrivance. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel biased, uh, and we'll speak no further. That being said, what are you going to do? Go to Jedi school and not be a Jedi? Are you going to go to Jedi school and learn how to work on starships? Go be a Gryffindor. Well, there's only Jedis in Jedi school. Yeah, I know, but if they had houses, the, if, if there was one house that was the wizard house, it would be Gryffindor. I will say saying. that that is an interesting point, but and there's obviously no way for us to know this, but... We forget the ability to choose. Harry, mm. under the sorting yeah. hat, Slytherin or Gryffindor, uh, the Could good guys. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but Hermione could have sat under the sorting hat and it could have said, well, you could be with the brainy kids or you could be the ones that are going to, you know, I guess change the world or something. Oh, I'll, I'll do that. I promise. I'll, I'll do that. And, and so she probably, she could have chose. I mean, it seems, it seems implied that not everyone knows they can do that. It's kind of like, it, you know, is it a deterministic mm-hmm. view on their own destiny or is it a fatalistic view? Um, but there is that possibility that Hermione, being as smart as she is, could have chosen being in Gryffindor. The sorting hat. The only standardized test that can make you be a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> I think to completely, I mean, I think you're discounting this idea that the people in different houses don't have their own personalities. You're basing your assumption off three main characters from different houses. Sure. And so I think if we had... Harry Potter from, you know, if we had Draco Balfoy in the Sorcerer's Stone, would we get to know the people in Slytherin and what would they all be like? Would they all be douchebags? I don't know. And so, I mean, but does Luna Lovegood belong in Gryffindor? She, is she? Yes. I thought she was Ravenclaw. Well, she is in Ravenclaw, but would she, under this caching, in this paradigm, uh, be in... Right. There is... She's more of a Hufflepuff, isn't she? Yeah, well, that's what <laughs> I would say. I mean, Socially awkward. But we can't think of any problem because she's not in Gryffindor. Right, yeah. Well, yeah, but so I mean, then, I think I think the houses are really truly arbitrary. I'm gonna I'm gonna divide them uh, as an American high school film, just for fun. <laughs> uh, Gryffindor's probably the jocks, but they're like nice jocks. They're like baseball players, not football players. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is true. That's Hufflepuff fair. is clearly like the drama kids and potheads. Oh, uh, Ravenclaw is all AP kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just all. That's it. Nothing else. Maybe like a couple like right. a- AP kids sciences and math. Not AP kids literature either. Well, yeah, because they're in Hufflepuff. Yeah, yeah in Hufflepuff. the AP lit kids are. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. They totally and, are. And Slytherins just just bullies. Just just bullies. Yeah, it's just Exclusively bullies. bullies, as far as we're allowed to see in the books. Yeah. Well, that I mean, or, do oh, we meet a well, nice? I mean, Ravenclaw are bullies in that they're they're just smarter than everybody. Yeah, they're douchebags. The, or the, the, the money. Hufflepuff just families. likes to the name family. Hufflepuff just That's likes like to go Huff to the greenhouse. <laughs> you feel me? They just like some herbology. Puffin puffin, yeah. I didn't write the book, but for real, is there a single nice book expert? <laughs> is there a single nice Slytherin in the canon? You know, this is so fast. Snape. Snape. Well, the most famous Slytherin, I guess, of all time. But you asked me that, and 
a Slughorn was a Slytherin. And I think oh, he's okay. the perfect example of the the uh what is it the german in you know nazi germany that's this passive and he just sits and watches the world burn but he doesn't do anything yeah. to help anyone had, else jürgen moltmann we, yeah we had no idea what was yeah. going on <laughs> yeah. we were so close to belgium also we had was the yodeling not not so much eichmann who carried out atrocities yeah. but moltmann who doesn't do anything but doesn't do anything well, about yeah, slughorn's in know, it for himself slughorn cares about yeah. putting himself out there advancement yeah. and again right. the knowing the right people yeah. and having that's names yeah. and that is a slytherin trait as well yeah he was the head at a Slytherin house. Act one, Schindler. Right. So he, I mean, so I guess that is the only, I mean, besides Snape, who's got issues. Yeah. He's the only one in our recent history that I can think of. And I'm assuming that with, for every, you know, bad Slytherin, they're representing a more minority. I'm assuming most of them are like him. They're just like, hey, we're money people and we like manipulating you and sitting comfortably and I'm eating our shrimp cocktails. Club. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does seem that the entire house has to be put in the basement right. um, at, <laughs> at the Battle of Hogwarts. Yeah. But just, hey, you guys are going to have to hang out here for a while because we don't know what you're going to do. Yeah. Uh, question the second of canon as far as canon goes before we get rolling. Doesn't the series end in like 96? Like, year yeah. Was? That's so weird. Yeah. That's so weird. Last one passed. I was That's driving. Crazy. Anyway. Oh, I was I very was in old. kindergarten. Yep. Moving. <laughs> Dad's talking now, guys. Kindergarten. Uh, <laughs> German just keeps coming up. Last question, just purely personality. Dalton's already out of himself as a uh, a Gryffindor because it, his narcissism has shown through. That's what that <laughs> I is, can't not talk about myself. That that is the evidence therein. Uh, that's why, for yourself, you picked Gryffindor. But I'm moving well, on. I also had to tell the internet I have a girlfriend. Right. <laughs> because the internet. the market. Clearly must know. Uh, the, the thing I would want to ask is this. Uh, what house would you be sorted in, mm-hmm. and uh, what would be your Patronus? Go. Well, I'll go ahead and start since I've already got my first question answered. Uh, I, I, you know, I went to the, the website. I did it I did it by the book. Um, my Patronus would be a Bengal tiger or a red panda. No further questions, Your Honor. <laughs> of course. Arthur Gordon, you have red hair. <laughs> Clearly you're a Gryffindor. I would be in Ravenclaw, I think. Really? Yeah. Okay. And Patronus would be, man, I don't know, like penguins. Could be a penguin. <laughs> nice. There we Walk go. That Wait, that's, nice. That's, that's, uh, black yeah. and white animals, man. That'd be awesome. Sweet. Before I went with Red Panda, I was thinking Giant Panda, so I'm with you. Alexander. All right. Well, I also have done it by the book, and I would be in Ravenclaw as well, as per Potter, Pottermore test. And in terms of Patronus... I think I probably have a corgi because every time, every <laughs> the most time, British of all animals. <laughs> every time I see a corgi, I melt into a puddle on the floor because I just can't get over how cute they are. So and I would probably and dementors run away. It's a job. It's a job with the patronus. Yeah. Make you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> see, Dustin. Excellent. Uh, I would probably say I'd probably um, be in Ravenclaw as well. I might possibly get sorted uh, towards Slytherin. Um, I have that. Nice. Evil, evil edge, yeah. I think, too. I me. love when people admit and, that. And uh, I, I think that, that I think the hat and I would have a conversation. And I would like to think I ended up in Ravenclaw. But cool. I, I don't know because those are more the math kids anyway. So, I mean, if you go pure lit, I really belong more in Hufflepuff. What's really yeah. funny is I have a friend who's a math major who did the Pottermore thing and is a Ravenclaw. So there yeah. you go. I, I, I totally think they're math and science guys. Um, but uh, my Patronus, I think, would be an elephant. You know, just That's my, fa- cool. my favorite animal of all time. Do over. My Patronus is a bottle of Patron. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> Your mom is so fat, her Patronus is a cake. <laughs> Wizard. Wizard disses. <laughs> Guys, this was so much fun. This was good. This was good. I'm it, glad we did very this. Very good. This is a very, very good show. Um, we thank you, dear listener, for uh, hearing what we have to say. We look forward to hearing what you have to say about the things that we have to say and giving us feedback in various ways and suggestions and other comments and keeping the conversation going, sending us articles and whatnot as we send you those same things via the various means of social media by which we're available. So if you want to keep the conversation going with us, though, you can do that via... Um, Alexander, you're on Twitter. I am on Twitter. If You can find me at Alex V, as in Victor, Books... And that's pretty easy. Excellent. That's a funny Twitter. Yeah, I tweet about nerdy things, um, politics, world news, and weightlifting stuff. So follow me if you find that's interesting. Occasionally, she and I have entertaining conversations. You should follow. Horrifying combination of topics. <laughs> Dalton, are you on the Twitter? I am on the Twitter. I am at doll underscore stew, spelled not like the way my names are spelled, but spelled as you would spell a, a hearty uh, soupish dish made out of doll parts. Not like Courtney Love's band. <laughs> but spelled that way. Um, you can also find me, as always, on Letterboxd. Uh, I believe I'm Dalton underscore Stewart there. Just just Google it. You'll find it. Letterboxd is sweet, as we talk about all the time. You should be on there, because it's like Facebook. But for movies! Excellent. Thank you for that, Dalton. Where are you, Arthur? Uh, you can find me at RNDTBL Review on Twitter. Thank you for that. I am also on Twitter at Dustin underscore Sells, S-E-L-L-S, and I look forward to having any conversation with you possible. Um, and again... Take, take a look at a movie, see it with somebody you care about, have a good conversation. The movies mean a whole lot more than just popcorn and a couple hours well spent. Um, and until then, we'll see you next time. Well, thank you, dear listeners, for joining us once again for the Good Trash Genre Cast. I am Arthur Gordon, and I am quickly hijacking and adding an addendum to the Potter Sode, as we are now referring to it as. Just a couple of quick things. Uh, as you notice, we obviously didn't do Fired Up because we didn't know when this episode would drop. However, I am going to drop a couple of little things for you real quick. The first thing is that I have a review for The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which hits theaters May 2nd uh, online. You can check that out at examiner.com. Just search Arthur Gordon. Or you could also uh, go to arthurgordonjr.wordpress.com uh, to check out my review there. Also, uh, as you may or may not have heard yet, uh, this week we lost the great Bob Hoskins. Um, he was 71, and he will be missed. And therefore, that leads us into next week, ladies and gentlemen. We will be watching the wonderful, comical, beautiful, who framed Roger Rabbit. So until next time, folks, have a conversation with your friends. Go out and watch a movie. Don't let the conversation in because that's what this is all about, art and culture and life and love and happiness. And so until next time, see you then. I'm a house elf for life, down for the struggle. You're going to die here today. I've got the promise. Ah! No one can save you. You're all alone now. I'd like to teach you my secret technique, 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 technique. It's not a matter of personal glory. This is a major tournament. Those gangsters who attack me will be using every possible means to win the title. If they should happen to get it, a lot of innocent people would suffer. Can you afford to be selfish when so much is at stake? Action. Kids, get your broomsticks. I'm not trying to play, man. We gotta move quick. The Death Eater crew and you know who are coming to snap you into.
a toothpick The truth is we're a group of misfits Ill-equipped but we can't lose our grip Cause we're doomed if we quit So we gotta prove we can do this No time to snooze because these dudes are ruthless I'm not in the mood for excuses It's life or death, it's one chance And you can't refuse this Go on, get your wand if you know how to use it And leave these losers with black and blue bruises Like kung fu movie fighting If we have to, we'll blast you with fast as lightning So where's all my wizards and witches Gifted with magic tricks and elixirs Let's give it up for the boy who lived and never gave up Even though the game got tough His bravery paved the way for us So make way because you'll never fade us Every wizard in the house Throw your wand up in the sky Hold on tight because tonight You know that we are gonna fly We are wizards, we got magic Flowing through our fingertips We are wizards, yes you know it Everyone keeps singing it Every wizard in the house Throw your wand up in the sky Where there's a will, there's a way, and where there's a way, there's a brand new day. And let's say Dumbledore was right on when he said that we might always have to fight on and live in the moment. The feeling is fleeting. Get the heart beating and start breathing. Everything you have been reading is beginning to come into being before you this evening. It's the real thing. Harry Potter's got a rock band eating the enchanted ceiling. The horn tails practically were still teething, rocking out shows to sold out seating. This isn't a business. There's magic in this. History is being written. Bear witness. We're knocking down doors like Potter Ward did There's no stopping us cause we want some more, kid The wizard rock bands keep taking shape And Brad Neely makes a fake book on tape So we keep climbing, keep rhyming at ya House elves, grab your spatulas Every wizard in the house Throw your wand up in the sky Hold on tight because tonight You know that we are gonna fly Every wizard in the house Throw your wands in the sky, sky, sky Congratulations.